The Enneacast is sponsored in part by your Enneagram coach. Did you know that you can learn how to walk people through the Enneagram and see their lives transform right from the comfort of your own home while also making a great income? Find out how by going to yourenneagramcoach.com slash BEC. There you can become a certified coach and help others discover just who God made them to be. Again, that's yourenneagramcoach.com slash BEC. Discernment, I think, is is best used for those type of situations, which the path ahead isn't all that clear. It's not a simple right or wrong scenario. And we have to just choose among many decent, if not very good options. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and we've walked you type by type through your Enneagram story, but now we're actually going to begin a series of special topical episodes. And today is our first one. We're going to be exploring discernment in the Enneagram. Sam, you probably never have struggles with discernment, right? (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Of course I do. I'm a person. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I'm super curious to learn about this topic. I've heard the word discernment in in churches and in Christian community, but in terms of how it relates to the Enneagram, I'm super fascinated by, you know, what what does it mean as a nine to have discernment, use discernment versus somebody who's like a seven or four or six or whatever. So yeah, yeah. I'm super pumped to to learn from our special guest today. Yeah. Well, so our special guest today is Drew Mosier. Drew is the Dean of Student Engagement and Associate Professor of Higher Education and Student Development at Taylor University. He co-authored the book, Ready or Not, Leaning Into Life in Our 20s. He's a certified Enneagram teacher. He is the co host of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast, and his latest project is called The Enneagram of Discernment. Welcome to the show, Drew. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I love what you do on the show and excited to be a part of it. Uh, Well, let's start here. Drew, talk to us about what do we mean when we say discernment? Yeah, it's a great question uh, because it's one of those terms that I think we all use, but if asked or pressed to give a definition, that can become a little more tricky. And so when I think about discernment, uh, I think about the way in which we go about making decisions with some wisdom and depth beyond just a simple choice. So what that then leads us to have to explore is how do we go about making decisions with wisdom, which is really uh, the essence of discernment. Yeah. And of course, the hardest thing is it's easy if it's like, a bad choice and a good choice, and you have to discern which one of those. That's easy. But the reality is that most of life is is in this gray space where it's like, I have lots of maybe okay choices Mm -hmm. and which of these, you know, could could be the best option for me to to pursue. That's exactly right. Discernment, I think, is, is best used for those type of situations, which the path ahead isn't all that clear. It's not a simple right or wrong scenario. And we have to just choose among many decent, if not very good options. Yeah. 
I think back to especially my my younger years <laughs> as a as an adult. Um, you're, you're an old woman now. I'm an old woman now. I've learned so much. <laughs> but um, I think about whenever I was, you know, a senior in high school or a freshman in college and how many decisions I had to make at just 18 or 19 years old. Drew, you work at a university. Talk about the importance of discernment as it relates to young adulthood and kind of emerging adulthood for these um, college students that you work with. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely critical. In some ways, it's unfair because we expect so many what we would consider to be life-altering decisions to occur during this really intense kind of four-ish year phase of life. And along the way, we're bombarding you know, our students with all sorts of classes and activities and all sorts of different voices you know, who are speaking into their lives. And this idea of discernment is so critical because uh, even though you don't make every life decision that has a permanent impact for the rest of your life in college, you do set some really important trajectories while you're in college. And so there can be a lot of pressure that's heaped onto our college students to figure it all out while they're here. And we want them to figure some things out. But at the same time, we also don't want our students to not even attend to anything of importance that extends beyond college. We want them to be able to, you know, think ahead, think with wisdom, make good, sound and wise decisions because they do have consequences. So it can be really challenging to cultivate what I call the gift and the practice of discernment while you're in college. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's get into some of the, the categories that you use to define the Enneagram of discernment, vocation, wisdom, and practice. Can you kind of set those up for us? Yeah, sure. So when I think about what it takes to work through a process of discernment, I think that there are some territories or some categories under which some really important and deep questions that are common to all really fall. And so in the book, I outline nine questions that form the way of discernment. And uh, those questions are broken up into groups of three, which is very enigmatic, right? Yeah, and that's then, right. Uh, yeah. And uh, see what I did there? And then... Uh, <laughs> So the first category would be vocation, in which there are three questions that I think are critical to understanding our sense of calling. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? And then that second category would be wisdom, which really looks at the intelligence centers of the Enneagram, that kind of triadic grouping to help us better understand what am I doing, what am I feeling, and what am I thinking? And then that third category would be what I call the practice category, which really focuses on time and how we relate to and tend to steward the time that we're given. And, you know, these, these three questions, what am I remembering? What am I experiencing? And what am I anticipating? And so I think a good, healthy discernment explores uh, those nine questions in some way, shape or form. So when we're faced with really complex decisions, these questions can be really helpful to us in our discernment practice. Mm, that's good. Okay, I'm now I'm really excited to dig in. So <laughs> I guess let's let's start then with vocation because I think the vocation is a big question, especially if you're in that kind of quarter stage of life. You know, a lot of questions of vocation are going to come up. So I guess walk us through the who are you and why are you here? Where are you going? Walk us through those questions for vocation. Yeah. So I'll maybe briefly discuss the first two because you deal with those on the regular here on your podcast, but feel free to ask follow up if you want. And then I'll focus a little bit more on the third. But this who am I question, this is the question of identity, which is how do I understand who I am? 
and who I am called to be. And so I would argue, you know, from a Christian perspective that I, that identity has to be rooted in Christ and in our understanding of the Imago Dei, of being made in God's image. This is a totally different approach than maybe what if we just kind of lived unknowingly in our default settings of maybe our personality type, which would, I would argue, be more of a caricature of who we truly are. And so I think that question helps us really combat some lies of identity that are, can be really damaging. And then the second question would be, why am I here? This is a question of purpose. Uh, which is so important for any decision we're making. We have to see kind of what role we are called to play in a certain situation or s- scenario or setting. And that why I think can be really difficult because our own motivations tend to get kind of mixed and muddled with maybe some deeper or better motivations that we maybe want to use to drive us. And so I really argue that our overarching and underwriting purpose is that of the biblical view of shalom, you know, which in English we crudely translate as peace, but it really means flourishing. And it's a, it's a call to do a lot of what you all seek to do at Love Thy Neighborhood, which is to be about the flourishing of your relationship with God, your relationship with others, your relationship with yourself, and your relationship with creation. So I think that can help us begin to evaluate our purpose and our motives for why we're engaging something. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And then that third question in that vocation category would be, where am I going? And so, so often, especially in college and 20-something years, that question is is so future-casted ahead. And we're it's almost as if we, you know, we have a fishing pole. And we're trying to cast that line as far ahead as possible. And what we often miss is the depths that we're called to in the here and now. So in the book, I use this image of the fathom, which is an ancient nautical concept in which you would measure, you know, the depths of where you were in the water beneath you by taking a length of rope and spanning it across your wingspan. And then you would drop it, weighted, of course, but drop it into the water. That would be one fathom. And then you do that over and over again until the weight hit the bottom of uh, the body of water. And I think it's a helpful image for us because uh, fathom by fathom, we can understand maybe the depths of where we are. And in so doing, we're able to maybe not be so overwhelmed by it and better understand why we're here right now at this time in this place and be better prepared to take the next right step wherever God is calling us. As you were saying that, I was reminded of the quote, like the quote that says, like, just do the next right thing. And I think so much of discerning is just like, okay, what is the next right thing for me to do instead of what's my 10 year plan? What's my five year plan? What are all of my goals forever? Like, it's just what's the next right thing to do? No, that's exactly right. And as someone as a, you know, dominant type three, I'm very prone to look way too far ahead and uh, plan and scheme and dream five, 10 years out. Sometimes I can do that at the expense of, okay, what's right in front of me that I need to do? You know, whether that's, it's that report for work or it's that paper that needs to be written or paying attention in class or being prepared for the next meeting, you know, whatever it might be, that is the next right step that I'm being called to. So do that faithfully and then do that over again. And, you know, uh, and over and over we're living, you know, what Eugene Peterson, who's one of my favorite authors would, would say is a long obedience in the same direction. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what I'm hearing you say then is that if we know who we are and if we know why we're here, that out of those two things, we begin to discern where we're going or where we could or should be going. But if we attempt to say, well, this is where I'm going and where I'm going defines my why and my, it's like, it's, we can't do it backwards. Like we have to kind of build this in the right direction. That's exactly right. I think it was uh, C.S. Lewis who once said, we can be so heavenly minded that we sometimes are no earthly good. And, you know, and I think that we could apply that uh, logic to this kind of problem here, which is that we can sometimes be so future focused that we're no presently good. I've always found it fascinating that Paul in Romans 12, you know, which is a very familiar passage to and probably just about anyone that grew up in the church in which we are called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, you know, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. And then there, there's such an important turn in that verse in, in, in which it says, if you do these things, if you live sacrificially right now, right here, then you will know God's will. And I think that's really important to know who we are and why we're here and focus on that. And then I'm convinced that the direction often will take care of itself. It doesn't mean that we don't think ahead, doesn't mean we don't plan, but uh, sometimes we can get those questions out of order into our own peril. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, I think that's why the Enneagram is so helpful in in talking about discernment because if I know my gifts and if I know my shortcomings, I can discern what vocation or what path is right for me. I can know, okay, I'm a nine. I'm probably not going to be, you know, the president or CEO or what. Like, I'm like, I can kind of gauge accordingly based on the gifts that I offer. I can, you know, go into counseling or teaching or, or something that's more fit toward my abilities or inabilities. So I think that's why the Enneagram and discernment is really a, a good pairing for our conversation today because knowing the gifts and the pitfalls that we each struggle with is going to help us, you know, along the way and in our own journey. Yeah. It also, you know, I think that the thing that probably a lot of listeners, you know, you hear this and you think like, oh, cool. It's the Enneagram is going to be like a magic eight ball that's going to tell me <laughs> right. exactly which thing to choose. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Like, that's that's not how wisdom works. Like mm-hmm. wisdom does have a sense of wrestling about it and a sense of conversation with God, like a sense of listening, a sense of patience. But no doubt it starts with who we are and and why we're here. You know, that's why, you know, Paul was a tent maker. Like there's a sense of like simplicity to his occupation, but that his day job fueled, Mm -hmm. you know, the real vocation that he was, that he was truly pursuing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. And that's an important point too, that this understanding of calling, this idea of vocation, it is holistic because if God cares about all of us, then I believe God calls us in all these different areas and spheres of our life. So not just our jobs. Right. And so our understanding of our own kind of Enneagram type in the way and it, it helps and hinders us in all these different areas, whether it be relationships or our spiritual lives or our work. Understanding that can be really helpful to cultivate uh, more wise discernment in those areas of our lives. Mm, that's good. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's continue this conversation after the break. So when we come back, we will continue talking about discernment, specifically related to wisdom and practice. So stay with us. The Enneacast is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood offers social justice internships supported by Christian community for young adults like Kobe Langner from Tennessee. 
Love Thy Neighborhood impacted me by helping me realize that I had a passion for neighborhood renewal and community development. So thanks LTN for helping me uncover some of my passions and interest through hands-on experience that changed my career trajectory and gave me clarity on my vocation. Ready to see how Love Thy Neighborhood could impact your life? Learn more and apply at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back to the IndieCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our special guest today is Drew Mosier, and we are continuing our conversation about discernment. So we just completed a conversation about vocation in which we went through the first three questions as it relates to discernment. Those have to do with vocation. So now I want us to go through the next three questions, and those actually have to do with wisdom. So I guess the first thing, Drew, tell us what is wisdom Oh, <laughs> that's a that's a great question. And please so, sound please sound wise as you yeah. tell us. <laughs> uh, so when I think about wisdom, I think about something that's greater than mere intelligence. So it's something that's beyond just having information or even knowledge, but I think it's actually the right and proper application of our information and our knowledge in the right ways. And I think that that comes from cultivation. So we need to cultivate wisdom, but it, it's somewhat similar to discernment. It's also a gift and a practice. It's something that's given to us by God. It's also something that we have to cultivate in our lives. So a- as we get into this portion of the conversation, one of the things that I appreciate is that sometimes people will sort of dumb themselves down into only thinking of themselves as one Enneagram type. And part of what you're going to talk about with us is this idea that to varying degrees, we have all nine of the different traits within us. And that that is how we begin to move forward into wisdom is understanding some of that. So you you talk some about, you know, the heart triad, the head triad, the gut triad, and you, you talk about it in terms of our feelings, our thinking and our doing. Can you walk us through those three intelligence centers? Sure, sure. Enneagram teachers have have long taught that we really know something through kind of three areas or three ways, our heads, our hearts, and our guts. And, you know, just recently, neuroscience has really corroborated this to show us that that's actually where the highest concentration of our neurons and nerve endings are, are in those three places, and they communicate back and forth to one another. Which gives us what we, you know, kind of already intuitively know to be true that intelligence or being smart has many different shapes and takes on many different forms. And so these three centers, our head, which really gets into this realm of cognition and analysis, can also work with our heart, which really helps us better understand our emotional world and the emotional relational sphere. And then gut really gets at this more action-oriented, employing our bodies to do something, that doing intelligence. So if we look at these three centers, we can pull out three really important questions that I think help us cultivate wisdom. What am I thinking? What am I feeling? And what am I doing? And if we ask these three questions, I think we can access uh, maybe a more full range of intelligence that can help us be more wise in discernment. Mm, it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask, are there certain Enneagram numbers that are related to each of those three questions? 
Well, I'd say that there are Enneagram types that tend to focus or more easily be able to answer one question over the other. So if we look at the more traditional triads of the Enneagram, you know, that gut or body triad of the 891, they tend to be more kind of doing oriented. So they are probably more able to at least instantly answer the question, what am I doing? Um, With some caveats, of course. And then the heart triad really can explore or focus on that question, what am I feeling? Those twos, threes, and fours tend to focus on that question first. And then the head triad, the fives, the sixes, and the sevens tend to focus on that question, what am I thinking first? And so we can look at the triads in that way. Uh, But then there's another interesting wrinkle to this, which is if we look at the stances, I'm not sure if you talked about the stances on the Enneagram too much on the podcast. Uh, We talked about conflict resolution styles in season one, but I don't know that we've talked about these particular stances. Okay. So the stances of the Enneagram, some teachers call them the social styles. They're a different kind of grouping of three types on the Enneagram. We have what are known as the assertive or the aggressive types. Those are the threes, the sevens, and the eights. And then you have the dependent stance. Those are the ones, the twos, and the sixes. And then you have the withdrawn stance. Those are the fours, the fives, and the nines. And the reason that they're called stances is because they have happen to refer to kind of our posture in the world toward others. And there's a lot to unpack there. But for the purpose of the intelligence centers, we could, if we're, the triads help us understand which intelligence center we tend to focus on or lead with first, the stances tend to tell us which intelligence center we tend to neglect, misuse, or repress. Okay, so if I am a four, a five, or a nine, I should be paying attention to the question of what am I doing? Because I'm in the withdrawn stance, then there's a good chance that I'm I'm not taking action as frequently or I'm not really paying attention to my actions very well. That's right. Yeah. And then for ones, twos, and sixes, that question that sometimes is more of a struggle is what am I thinking? Now, this doesn't mean that any type is necessarily dumb or unintelligent in any one of these centers, but they tend to maybe misuse or misappropriate one intelligence center more so than the others. So often like fours, fives, and nines in your example, do a lot of stuff. You know, they, they may be able to instantly say, I'm doing all sorts of things. But then the, the question is, but are you doing the, the thing that you should be doing? Or what is the thing that you need to be doing that you are ignoring right now, or that you're pushing to the side, or you keep jumping over or leapfrogging on your to-do list. Maybe that's the thing that you need to focus on right now in order to cultivate wisdom. Mm, That's good. Okay, so four, fives, nines struggle with the question of what am I doing? Ones, twos, and sixes struggle with the question of what am I thinking? And threes, sevens, and eights struggle with the question of what am I feeling? That's right. Yeah. So resolving some of those questions and becoming more aware of what am I doing? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Those are going to lead us to be able to have greater wisdom moment by moment as we discern, you know, truth, reality, perception. Right. The response or the very thing that you just said we need to do for force fives and nines, for instance, is to develop wise bodies. How do we learn to engage our activity with wisdom or for ones, twos and sixes to develop and cultivate wise minds? How do we learn to employ the intelligence that we have in our brains for the right reasons, for the right purposes? And for three, sevens, and eights, cultivating wise hearts. 
not just dismiss feelings or emotions, but actually pay attention to them for they, you know, for all these centers have something to teach us. And so by focusing on the one that we tend to maybe push to the side or keep out, if we think of these three intelligent centers as two of them are playing a game of keep away from the other, you know, then maybe we include the third. And in so doing, we become more wise and maybe don't fall into the same traps and mistakes that we're prone to. Yeah, good. that's super helpful. Yeah. I've always heard that three, sixes, and nines have the hardest time because they're the most out of touch with their center. And it makes sense with this intelligence center here because the nine is in the body triad, but yet they're struggling with what they're doing. The six is in the head triad, they're struggling. You know what I mean? Like, so I've always heard that those three numbers, because their arrows are all three, their wings are lodged because they're in the same triad and their arrows, man, we just have a hard time. <laughs> You're a beautiful, hot mess. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, we threes are too. Yeah. And that's an, an important point. We tend, if we look at the three, the six and the nine, uh, those types lead with the very center of intelligence that they misuse or repress. Yeah. So the last category in the Enneagram of discernment is practice. What do you mean by practice? Yeah. What I mean by practice is how do we actually live in and use and steward the time that we're given? So I think this is a really important point, especially for those of us in, in Western culture in which we view time as this finite resource and that, that there's never enough of. That's a, in direct contrast to what I would argue is a biblical view of time, which actually parses out the difference between time that we can measure by minutes, seconds, minutes, hours. That's chronos, where we get the term chronology, for instance. Versus this other vision that the New Testament gives us, which is kairos time. And this is a different type of time, which is really measured more by moments and not so much by minutes. And it's the significance of a moment, an opportune time, an extraordinary time. And it also derives in the ancient Greek from this archery term. You know, you pull back the arrow as you have it in the bow and that moment right before you release it, where you've just got everything kind of dialed in perfectly, that's similar to a Kairos moment. So I think the Enneagram can help us here better understand how different types tend to use or maybe not use time well. So practice leads to our last three questions then. So what, what are those three questions? Yeah. So these three questions are, what am I remembering? This is our ability to reflect upon the past and learn from it. The second question in this category would be, what am I experiencing? This is our understanding and ability to know what's going on in our present environment. And then the third question would be, what am I anticipating? This is the look towards the future. What's ahead? What am I thinking about as it relates to what's ahead of me? And I think the Enneagram through understanding these stances that we talked about earlier can be really helpful in unpacking how we tend to steward or misuse this time. Because like the intelligence centers, I think we tend to focus on one aspect of time and often do so at the expense of another aspect of time. So I guess walk us through then the specific types that would each maybe struggle with these questions. Yeah. Uh, so the aggressive stance, which are the three sevens and eights, they tend to be future focused, always looking ahead at what's next on the to-do list or the conquer list or the adventure list. And they're present enough to help them get there. But what they tend to misuse or neglect is the past because it seems like a drag. So they really struggle with that question, what am I remembering? And uh, by 
really focusing on that question, it can help us reflect and learn from our past as opposed to just discarding it as ancient history. And so for the dependent stance types, the ones, the twos, and the sixes, they tend to be very present focused. And after that, they can look to the past. What they tend to struggle with is the future. So they tend to be kind of bound up by the tyranny of the urgent, whatever's right in front of them to either improve or help or secure and uh, struggle to kind of cast their gaze up a little bit and look ahead. And then those withdrawn types, the fours, fives, and nines. uh, So Jesse and Sam, tell me if you see this in your own life, have no trouble focusing on the past or the future, really. They tend to be more past focused, but they can kind of go back and forth between the past and the future and sometimes struggle with being present to what matters most. I don't even know where I am right now. (laughs) I never deal with that. (laughs) Okay. I guess we're done. (laughs) What's Uh, happening? (laughs) So, and there's, there's all sorts of reasons for that, whether it's a kind of escapism or longing or wanting to kind of retreat or withdraw. It's easy to uh, long for the past or dream in the future at the expense of what's right in front of them. Uh, yes. <laughs> also, same. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what I encourage people to do in these stances is try to live in more of a fullness of time approach and really focus more on that neglected or misused perspective on time. So for the aggressive stance, those three sevens and eights, I encourage them to practice what I call sacred delay. It's actually slowing down to let their hearts catch up with their heads and their bodies and reflecting upon the past, as opposed to just always looking ahead. For those dependent types, the ones, twos, and sixes, I encourage them to practice what I call sacred vision, which would be, what is you know what does God have in store for you in the future? Not just all the things that you need to tend to right now. And for those fours, fives, and nines, I encourage uh, them to cultivate what I call sacred presence. Then when they maybe have that pull to want to withdraw, maybe stick around and, and say, okay, God, what do you have for me in the here and now? What do I need to be fully present for in this moment? And these are easier said than done, but I think they're really important if we're going to live in the fullness of time and discern our lives well, because we need to learn from the past. We need to be fully present to the things that matter, and we need to be able to develop vision for the road ahead. Uh, yeah, that's really good. So th- what I'm hearing in all of these uh, different stances is how much we need each other <laughs> in this life and how much, if left up to our own devices, the the withdrawn stance will stay kind of stuck and the aggressive stance will stay too future-oriented. So what is the role of community as it relates to discernment and especially as it relates to practice? Yeah, I would say community is a critical component to discernment overall and a critical component to all of these recommendations that I've been giving because discernment is not a solo journey, especially if we take seriously this theology of shalom, which if this is our kind of deep and abiding purpose in life is to be about the flourishing in our relationship with God, with self, with others, with creation, that's a relational endeavor. And so we really need to work this out in community, which means that we have to rely upon the wisdom and the calling and the ability to steward time well of other types because they bring gifts to the table that we need through example, through wise counsel, through loving critique that we need to hear. We need, we need others to do that. 
Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been amazing. Uh, and there's like so much. I feel to like we chew just on. scratched the surface. Oh, I, know, just yeah. I know. So if you're listening to this, two things. Uh, listen to it three times to, <laughs> to make sure you got it all. But more importantly, go pick up Drew Mosher's book, The Enneagram of Discernment. I think that we have earned ourselves a little game. So when we come back, we will be playing You've Got Problems with Drew Mosier. Stay with us. In today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring discernment. It's important for us to be able to be wise when it comes to our vocation and our judgment, but also when it comes to our money. To explore that topic, check out our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, check out episode number 17, where the gospel meets wealth. It just was like winning the lottery. We have arrived. We have achieved wealth. Money. Many people think that money is is a status symbol. Spoiled rich girl, those kind of things. I mean, it was exciting, but it was like, now what do I do? You can listen to the Love That Neighborhood podcast by listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Or by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Again, lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now it's time for You've Got Problems. Okay, so You've Got Problems is based off a real game by Jack Dyer. You can find it on Amazon or by going to jackdyer.com. A word of warning, though, if you play it, you will want to go through and censor some of the cards before you play it in mixed company. Okay, here's how you play. Uh, For each round, Sam and I are going to each present you, Drew, with two perk cards. These cards have wonderful, useful, just plain amazing things on them. You're going to choose which perks you'd like to have in real life. However... Before you choose, Sam and I are going to sabotage each other's perks with one problem. So whichever perks you choose will also have a problem that come with them. So after we sabotage, you have to choose which set of perks and problem you would go for in real life. Whoever set of perks you choose gets a point. Uh, We'll do three rounds. Best out of three wins. That will be me. Sam, are you ready? I'm ready to win. I always win. <laughs> this is going to be a real test of my discernment, I think. And ours, too. We have to, we have to curate this just for you. All right. I'll go first. So, Drew, everything in your life organizes itself, and nobody ever blames you for anything. I love it already. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Those are really good. Okay. Uh, Drew, here's... What I'm offering you, which is way cooler. Whatever. (laughs) Uh, You have the power of teleportation, so you can teleport anywhere at any time to any place. Oh, wow. And you have a lightsaber and know how to use it. No way. Okay. All right. (laughs) Okay. Sure, it's true that you have a lightsaber, lame, and teleportation, whatever that means, but you can never use the internet again. Oh, okay. So good luck 
finding a job because <laughs> everything's on the line. It'd be like a Jedi Luddite, basically. Okay. Yes. Okay, sure. Everything in your life organizes itself and nobody ever blames you for anything, but you have a problem. And the problem is that the top half of your top half. <laughs> I can't even talk. <laughs> the problem oh, is no. that the top half of your body is backward. <laughs> <laughs> or is it the bottom half? <laughs> Who well, knows? Either way, <laughs> it's a problem. Oh, man. Oh, wow. Okay. This is, this is really hard because I love organization. And I love not to be blamed for anything, but to be a teleporting Jedi is just, it's too good to pass up. So I'm going to go with that. Whatever. What? <laughs> Whatever. In your face, Sam Stevenson. <laughs> okay. So you have one point. Yeah. Right, go. Okay. You will never make the wrong decision ever again. And you eliminate bullying. Oh, that sounds great. You yeah. literally just it. appealed to his ability to discern. Uh, you yeah. will never make the wrong decision. <laughs> That's... And he works on a college campus where I'm sure bullying takes place. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Okay. Okay. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> if you're into that stuff. Here's what I'm offering you. Nobody on earth will ever go hungry again. Oh my what? goodness. And... Every movie theater has a private screening room just for you. Oh. Kind of convenient right now during a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, that does sound glorious. Okay, sure it's true that movies and stuff and world hunger and whatever, but you can only communicate through interpretive dance. Oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm talking embarrassed about already, and it's just a hypothetical <laughs> situation. <laughs> That's like the, the most Baptist thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, sure, you you will never make the wrong decision again, and you eliminate eliminate bullying. However, you have a problem, and the problem is that poachers are always after your very valuable teeth. What? All my, oh, my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> poachers are always always after your valuable. What a specific teeth. scenario. <laughs> so that is very specific. However, I think if I am unable to make a wrong decision, I will be able to thwart the poachers at every turn. So I'm going to go with Sam's. Yes. <sighs> Keep it an interesting. Now we're tied. Yeah. All right. You ready? Oh, wait. I didn't grab There's a so, I have so many good ones. I'm sort of struggling here. All right. I'm offering you a couple perks. One, you never have to pay taxes. And two, you bring about world peace. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. No taxes and world peace? Yeah. Uh... Okay, here's what I'm offering you. You can create tiny versions of yourself to do your bidding. Okay. <laughs> like little minions of myself. <laughs> That's exactly right. And you have a jetpack. What? Oh, wow. <laughs> so it, in theory, if I'm putting these together, I could have a jetpack and a lightsaber. Yes, you are not wrong. Okay. Okay, sure, it's true that you get a jetpack and you have minions, but you can only get around by crawling. Oh, that kind of renders the jetpack somewhat useless. Okay. How does that work? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Quite the sabotage, yeah. Uh, okay, sure, you never have to pay taxes, and you bring about world peace. However, every day, and only for that day, a random limb vanishes from your body. What? <laughs> <laughs> but I just have to live with it for a day? Is that it? Yeah. yeah. So like one day your right leg might be gone and it's there the next day, but then suddenly your, you know, your left your left arm's gone. Oh boy. That would be 
disruptive to the, to say the least. You'll get used to it. <laughs> How do you know he would get used to it? Why are you so dismissive? Been, because every four days he loses a leg and every four days he loses an arm. Like it, it he'll get used to it. You were very quick to, to you know, dismiss people struggling with <laughs> random limb vanishing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so here's what I'd say. Um, crawling with a jetpack on my back sounds awful. And I'm not entirely sure it would be good for me to have a bunch of mini-me's at my bidding. I'm not sure I could handle that uh, very well. So I'm going to go with Sam. Yes. Boo. I win again. Boo. You have no discernment. <laughs> uh, th- that very well could be true. <laughs> uh, well, Sam, hats off to you. Thank you. I'll gladly take the victory. Yeah, you did great. Okay. Uh, and now it's time for listener questions. Okay, so this question comes from A underscore Garish. What is the relationship between the Holy Spirit's prompting and your Enneagram number? Oh, that's a great question. So my initial thought for all nine types would be uh, what may differ is how you go about hearing and interpreting and responding to that prompting. So we can probably think about the the different kind of pitfalls or traps that each type gets into. And I think those could be applied to how we may respond to the prompting of the spirit. Yeah. I know when we talk about how God communicates certain messages to us that are healing, that those are each kind of special and curated based on our wounds and our weaknesses and our, our essence. So I wonder how he communicates to us as it relates to discernment, if there's a special way that he can kind of relate in that way. Well, I do think, you know, if the Holy Spirit is is called advocate or counselor in scripture, if that's a role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives, then we probably should expect to be counseled and advocated for by the Holy Spirit in the ways in which we need to hear, which I know you've you've been unpacking in every episode of this season, that there are messages of healing that each type really needs to hear and internalize in order to to be whole and healthy, right? Yeah, I also think about the variety of things that we think we need the Holy Spirit's discernment for, which actually scripture has already made plain to us. Like we're called to be, you know, compassionate. We're called to sacrifice. We're called to love. We're called to be patient. Like those, there are certain things we don't really need extra spiritual discernment about because it's already been made plain to us. And so I also just wonder if there are times where we're like, I really just need to hear from God. And it's like, actually, you don't. He's already made that one clear to you. So <laughs> yeah. you're using this You're using this as a, as a religious scapegoat to not, you know, take the action that you know you're called to. Sure, sure. Okay, this question comes from Digmo412. What if God seems to be telling you to do something that goes against your personality? Oh, so uh, I would wonder if, if that's maybe the right way to frame the question, that it's against my personality, or is it, is it against, truly against your personality, or is it challenging for your personality? Because I do think that part of uh, God's call is not just to continue to make us feel comfortable, but I do think, again, getting back to Romans 12, if, like we talked about before, there is a, a living kind of sacrificial living element to what it means to live a faithful life. 
which means that there's going to be some things that, that are challenging or stretching for us. And I also don't think that that always means we're to be miserable, but I do think that growth comes through being challenged and stretched, which is going to get at aspects of our personality. And maybe those aspects of our personality that are really challenged or stretched, maybe they need to be a little bit. Yeah, because I think that the way that this question is framed makes me think almost like it's against the ethics of your personality, which that that is incompatible with who God is. But I fully agree with you, Drew. I think frequently, if I look at back at who I was 20 years ago versus who I am now, very frequently it was because God was simultaneously calling me to go further into the gifts he had given me and also to stretch beyond just the gifts that he had given me. I know that I tend to be more introverted and not quite as social as, you know, definitely not as much as like a a type eight or an eight wing seven. However, does that mean that it's okay that I literally don't talk to my neighbors? No, like that's not a justifiable thing. So yeah, so I think that the Lord invites us into a full life. And that means that he's, he he takes us as we are, but he does not leave us where we are. He's going to change us and stretch us. Okay, this question comes from Chandra Quinn. How do you discern between your subtype motivations and what is wise and true? Uh, And we should clarify, we have not covered subtypes in any of our podcast episodes, but I think the question still remains, how do you discern between sort of the the motivations that drive you personally and what is actually wise or true? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, yeah, there'd be a lot to unpack there. What, What I would say initially would be, that our motivations have to be evaluated or considered in light of all of the other kind of things that are important to us beyond just ourselves. Uh, so if we can kind of get out of our you know own you know maybe navel gazing, I think is, is a term that applies here, and consider the ways in which our motivations impact those around us, especially those that we care about deeply, that can be a good filter through which to uh, explore if, if our motivations are as pure as they should be, as healthy as they should be, or if our motivations are driving us in unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're getting back again into some of that community stuff. Like we just need, we need more than just our own set of eyes and our own way of interpreting. Like there's got to be assistance. Yeah. I think subtypes help us understand what trajectories we might be prone to, to lean toward and whether it's, you know, social, intimate or, or self-preservation. So I think that they're good indications of where we're headed if left unchecked, but I don't know that they should be in the driver's seat all the time. I think that discernment kind of is a, is a helpful friend um, to the subtype motivations. That's well put. Well, cool. Well, Drew, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us and bringing so much wisdom to us. Well, hey, thank you. Uh, it's been a real joy and a lot of fun and uh, love what you are doing with the podcast and what you do at Love Thy Neighborhood. So I'm just thrilled to be a part. Well, thanks to our special guest today, Drew Mosier. I encourage you to pick up a copy of his newest book, The Enneagram of Discernment. You can find it on Amazon or wherever good books are sold. For more about Drew and his other work, visit drewmosier.com. That's Drew, M-O-S-E-R.com. 
As always, thanks to our friends at Crosspoint Ministry who trained us in the Enneagram. You can learn more about their work at crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by a Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come serve with us for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by the Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Mm.